pray together. Father, thank you for granting us another day of life and a day for worship, that we're blessed to have this building we can meet in. We can lift our hearts in our songs and our prayers and hear your word together. Our fellowship is sweet. And we pray now that as we turn to this portion of the scriptures, may it accomplish every divine purpose for which you have it, for which it has been written, every purpose which you intend, may it be accomplished, may they be accomplished in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. Take all of our thoughts captive to obedience to Christ. We also pray, our Father, that you might somehow use these words and this sermon to save sinners. We pray that people in this room and people who hear us online would, would turn. We pray for our little ones downstairs while they're hearing from their teachers that you would turn their hearts to you, God, that they would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and find the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. So speak to us now through your holy word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So most of us in this room are probably Christians. Not all, welcome to all, but most of you are probably decidedly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. God in his mercy and according to his eternal sovereign purposes in the day of his plan gave you light and sent the Holy Spirit into your soul and regenerated you and gave you new life and you repented, turned to God that he would be God and you believed on the Lord Jesus. You called upon his saving name. He received you. And by grace, your sins have been pardoned. Your iniquities are canceled out. They're buried in the depths of the sea, removed as far from you as the east is from the west. And you are a child of God. You love being a child of God. Hallelujah is right. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Not perfectly, falteringly, with repentance sometimes. But you do substantially. You love your neighbor as yourself. Substantially, though you fail and must repent. You're seeking to obey the commandments of the Lord. What did Jesus tell his church? Here's what I want you to do, church. I want you to make disciples everywhere and baptize them and teach them to do everything that I have commanded you. And in this, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the presence of God the Son as we make disciples and teach. Well, this morning we're making disciples and we're teaching. That's what we're doing here. We have the presence of God for that very thing. So we're seeking, those of us who have turned to Christ, we are seeking to live like redeemed children of God. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We have new hearts that have new loves. We love God. We love people. We love the gospel. We love the kingdom. We love the word. And we get to exercise ourselves in these things when we gather together. We love it. So most of us are Christians. We're following Christ. But it's hard. If we were a Pentecostal church, I might say, can I get a witness? Amen. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. It's hard. There's a busy devil and an alluring world. Even if there was no devil, there's remaining sin in us and the sins that so easily beset us, Hebrews, 
are, are nipping at our heels all the time. It's hard. It's hard dealing with life, with difficulties and discouragements and perplexities. It's hard trying to walk faithful to the Lord Jesus in this world. And it's especially hard because of what's in our passage today, because, as I already said, there's a busy devil when he's out for our souls. He wants to separate you from Jesus Christ before you die. He wants you to die without Jesus Christ. Don't you let him. Keep on repenting, keep on believing, keep on following Jesus Christ. You'll be glad at the last day. But there is this devil, and because of that, and I've said this before, and I want to say it again today, we are, we are not the church at rest. We are not the church, the people of God at peace. We are the church militant. We are the church at war. You need to understand, why, why is it like this? Why is it so? Because we're at war. This is not, not some easy little stroll in the park. It's war. To point out how much it's war, before we get into the several pieces of armor that we're going to look at today from our passage, just to take an aside and spend some time in the book of Revelation and look at how, how much we are the church militant, the church at war, I want to take you to a couple verses. Now, I'll let you know, I had a long list, and you'll be so happy, I think, when I tell you I pared it down to just three passages, all right? They'll do it. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the Bible says, let every word be confirmed. Three witnesses are going to suffice. All right? But we're at war. I want to help you get that. So here we are, and the people spoken to in the book of Revelation when it was originally written are no different than you and me. Same planet, same devil, same temptations, same dangers, same challenges. And so everything I'm about to read fits you, fits me, fits us. It's war. Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon. Everybody say, boo. Yeah. That's the devil. That's our ancient foe who seeks to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On, not as, on earth is not as equal. Then the dragon became furious. What's worse than a dragon? A furious dragon. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war, it's war, on the rest of her offspring. Who's that? It's us. Amen. It's all the people of God all the way down through this church age. They're the offspring of Jesus Christ, who is the offspring of the woman. And a furious dragon, what's going on on the planet right now? This is what's going on. This is the universe you live in. This is the earth you live upon. There is a furious dragon who's making war with you, her offspring. And then you are further described, and these, these are beautiful, the way he further describes this. That is, on those who keep the commandments of God. Now, if you know yourself very well, you're saying, well, I'm not very good at that. So maybe that's not talking about me. Oh, no, it is talking about you. Yes, you keep them imperfectly. Yes, you keep them with much repentance. Yes, you keep them falteringly. But you love the Lord your God, and you are seeking to keep his commandments, right? Amen? So they are described in the judgment of charity, in the judgment of grace. 
You are those who keep the commandments of God, and you hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's how you're described. And the devil is furious about you keeping the commandments of God, and he's furious about you holding to the testimony of Jesus. Welcome to the planet. Welcome to the Christian life. Some of you are visiting here today thinking, well, I just went to Cornerstone Church my first Sunday here, and I thought maybe I should get into God. Maybe I should find out about Jesus. I drove past that church the other day. I'll go there, and here you are, and you want to know, if I become a follower of Christ, what will it be like? (laughs) Well, it's like a lot of things. It's like a lot of things, but here's one of them. It's war. It's war. Then, Revelation chapter 2 There was a church in a town called Smyrna, a city called Smyrna. We're in Joppa, which is kind of nowhere. There is no town. It's just Joppa. And they're in Smyrna. And here's what John writes, Revelation 2, 9 through 11. I know your tribulation. It's the Greek word thlipsis. It means pressure. I know you're living under pressure, and I know your poverty. Now, why did they have poverty? It's a very special reason, a very unique reason. They were experiencing poverty because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It was costing them dearly. Here's how that worked. So, Average guy, you worked in a trade guild. To be in the trade guild, there were various things you had to do. You had to show your allegiance. One thing was there would be these festivals with the trade guild, and we're all going to sacrifice things to idols and then eat the food that was just offered to idols. And you, as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, had to put your foot down and say, no, Uh uh-oh, now your job's on the line. Or it might have also been, and this is even worse probably, it might also have been that somehow to be part of your job, to be part of just living in your town, there were times when you had to be willing to say, Caesar is God, Caesar is Lord. And you said, well, no, he ain't. The Lord Jesus is Lord. And so you lost your job, and now it's, Poverty for Jesus Christ. So I know your tribulation, the pressure, and I know your poverty, but you are rich. Nice little reminder. And I know, brought down, the slander, you're being slandered, of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, the Christ-hating ones, the Christ-killing ones, the Christ-rejecting ones, and they were slandering the believers to the government. Hey, those people over there, you think they're Jews, you think they're part of our thing, they're not. So, Don't recognize them and don't give them the immunity that we get from worshiping Caesar. No, get them in trouble. So they're getting you, they're routing you out, slandering you, falsely accusing you to Rome. And here's what the Lord Jesus says to them. Verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Well, if anything is going to make me fear, that line will do it. (laughs) Do not fear what I'm about to suffer. What's that? 
Behold, here it is, the devil is about to throw, actually it'll be the government. Yeah, the devil often uses human government. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested and for 10 days, don't know if that's literal, if it means a short period of time, you will have tribulation, second time with that word, pressure. He's going to throw some of you in prison. I wonder what that would do for next Sunday's attendance. If today some SWAT team came in here and hauled four or five of us out. Sorry that I made that a SWAT team, brother. And hauled four or five of us out and threw us in jail. Wonder who all would be back next Sunday. And then here's the, here's the word of the Lord to these people in Smyrna. Be faithful unto death. That's all. They might kill you. Just stick with me. Right up to where they kill you. Just keep on believing. Keep on confessing my name. Keep on identifying with me. Keep on denying that Caesar is Lord. Keep on saying no to your trade guild. And if you die, just go ahead and be faithful unto death. That's all. And I will give you the crown of life. And then in case you're not inclined to hear this, he speaks to you and says, verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. Now, we're not in a time like that, but we're a church. We're people like they were people. We're on the planet like they're on the planet. Busy devil like there was a busy devil. Bless God, we're not suffering like that in our day, right? I wouldn't wish it on us. However, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. They took over their world for Christ. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the one who conquers, or we could translate that, who overcomes, or conquers or overcomes what? The temptation to turn back, to hide your faith, to deny Christ, to say Caesar is Lord, the one who conquers. It's the Greek word from which we get the name of the shoe company, Nike. It's nikao is the verb. It means to overcome or to conquer. To the one who conquers, they will not be hurt by the second death. See, they might hurt you with the first death. That's bodily death. That's physical death. That's just the first death. They might get you with that one, but you won't be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? That's when you appear in the presence of God, not in Christ. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, and you're cast into everlasting hell. That is what the Bible calls the second death. I never heard anybody preach this sermon, but I heard of a sermon once that had this line in it. This might have been the sermon title. I don't know. It was born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You follow? All right. Some of you didn't. Go home and ask your mother. <laughs> then we go to the church in Pergamum, verse 13, Revelation 2, 13. And, and he says this to them. The Lord Jesus says, I know where you dwell. I know where your church is. I know where you guys are. I know where you dwell, 
where Satan's throne is. Whoa. And wait a minute. I thought that was Baltimore. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, Baltimore would. Maybe more like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said it, not me. All right. In case you didn't hear, she said D.C., Maybe New York, maybe London, maybe Paris, maybe, you know, you name a whole lot of cities, right? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. What's he saying? Satan is really busy in your city. I know you're there. Yet, you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. That's just a little bit. Like, there's a whole lot of this in the book of Revelation. It's a little taste. Three witnesses confirmed. That's Christian living on this planet with a busy devil. So what I'm impressing upon us is this. We are the church, back to Ephesians 6, we are the church militant. That is to say, we are the church at war. I want you to get that. So they say a, pic a picture is worth a thousand words. So let me show you a picture of what we're not. This is what the Christian life is not. <laughs> That's not you now on the planet. It's not that. It's more like this. Next picture, please. Yeah, it's more like that. That's you now. You're a Christian soldier in a time of war with a furious adversary who's invisible. Now we come to Ephesians 6 and verse 15. And, so we've already put on the belt of truth, we've already applied or put on the breastplate of righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ. And now thirdly, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As shoes for your feet. This is not about real shoes. The shoes are representing something. What are they representing? Readiness that is given to you by the gospel of peace. So we're going to talk about that. But first, so again, Paul's in a Roman prison. He's looking at Roman soldiers every day. They have on shoes. We're told that they had really nice shoes. They were about three-quarter inch thick, the sole layers of leather. They had like hobnails in them on the bottom, so they would last a long time. They had leather straps or thongs that wound around up your leg and held the thing on there. And you were like, you were ready to go into battle when you had on your shoes. So that's the image here, and there's a readiness to enter into Christian battle against our adversary. There's a readiness given to us by the gospel of peace. So that's what this is about. Just to give you a picture of a modern-day counterpoint, because today's the day for pictures, apparently. It, that's what it would look like today, all right? Next slide, please. So this is about your readiness to engage in spiritual battle and to stand 
knowing, here's what helps you to do it. Here's what helps you to stand in this verse. Here's what this is about. Here's what gives you readiness, knowing that you have gospel peace with God and knowing that you have gospel peace from God. So knowing about those two kinds of peace, those are giving you readiness to stand in battle. So we have to talk about those two kinds of peace, peace with God and peace from God. And to talk about them, we're going to leave the text again. You say, well, we weren't there very long. I'm sorry. And we're going to go to some other verses about gospel peace so we can take what we find there and plug them in here and understand more about how this gospel peace makes me ready for spiritual battle. So some parallel texts on gospel peace. First one is about peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, justified, made righteous according to God's law, by faith, since that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What will I get if I become a, a believer in Jesus Christ? Many things. Here's one. You'll get peace with God. My friend, that is the best peace on the planet. What other peace would you trade in for that? You can have peace with God. The Bible says we were at enmity with God. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. But through Jesus Christ, when you call upon him, you get peace with God. The most important peace. The greatest peace. Like, if I can have that peace, who cares if I don't have the other pieces? Who cares if I don't have peace with my neighbor? Who cares if I don't have peace with my neighbor's dog? If I can have peace with God, it is well with my soul. This is supposed to help you in battle. So it's like this. Let's picture you in battle. There you are, you're in battle. And I'm going to do this same thing again. I'm repeating myself from last week. But there, there's a lot of dust in the air because it's battle. And there's a lot of smoke in the air because it's battle. And we can barely see you in the dust and in the smoke. We can hear, you know, the swords are hitting and shields are being hit. There's clanging and battle going on in there. But we can't really see you. But suddenly... You pop your head up out of there and you smile and you say, but I have peace with God. Then you pop back down in. <laughs> this peace with God readies you to take whatever comes your way. Readies you to face the fiercest battles and the fiery flying darts that come your way. It readies you, but I have peace with God. You also have a peace that you experience internally. It's peace from God. God gives you peace. You have peace with him, and he gives you peace in your soul. A couple of verses on that. John 14, 27, Jesus speaking, peace, I leave with you. Has Jesus left peace with you? What will I get if I become a believer? The peace of Jesus in your soul left with you? Peace I leave with you. My peace. How great is the peace of the Son of God. My peace I give to you. 
What's it not like? Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So there you are in the battle, the dust and smoke, and you pop your head up and you say, but I have peace from God. Back down in the battle. This readies you for battle. Another passage, Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which passes all understanding. So there you are in your battle. It's a bad day. All this stuff's going on. You're being attacked. You're struggling just to hang on and persevere. And yet, you pop your head up and say, but I have peace in my soul. And we say, with, with all that going on, how can you possibly have peace in your soul? Well, I can't explain it. It surpasses all understanding. It guards my heart and it guards my mind in Christ Jesus. So I don't faint under all the terrors of war. So I don't throw in the towel and give up following Jesus Christ because it's hard. No, the peace of God is guarding my heart and my mind through Jesus Christ. Here's another one, John 16, Jesus speaking. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Jesus wants you to have peace. I know that some of you temperamentally are more likely to suffer with anxiety, with depression, with worry, with fear. It's temperamental, you're born with it. It might even be accentuated by nurture, by things that happen to you in your life. And for some of you, this looks like a very tall order to have this kind of peace. So what I'll say to you is, yeah, you don't have it perfectly yet, but, but think of what you'd be like if you didn't know Jesus Christ. So you have this, just maybe not as much as somebody who really has very little anxiety or worry or fear or depression. But Jesus says that, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Same word, flipsis, pressure. But take heart. You pop your head up out of the fray. I have taken heart. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is only going to last for a little while. It's just down here for now. And soon I'll be with my Savior. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more, no more pain. The former things have all passed away. I can handle this. I'm ready. It readies you. Here's one more. There could be a lot more, but one more. Romans 16, 20. This is good. The God of peace will soon, however long it takes, that's soon, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The devil's read that verse. He's furious. Huh. He's waging war. This makes you ready. So there you are in the dust, there you are in the battle, and you pop your head up and you recite all these verses to us, and you say, so I'm ready. I'm ready for the battle. 
ready to engage in spiritual warfare, ready to stand your ground, to keep on believing, to keep on following. My dear brother and sister in Christ, by the grace of God, you can stand against terrible, unseen, otherworldly, powerful foes and attacks. You can fend off fiery darts. You can endure the evil day through Jesus Christ, who gives you peace with God and the peace of God. And you're not blown away, and you're not pulverized, and you're not destroyed, and you're not absolutely devastated, and everything isn't a crisis. But your life is characterized by peace. I'm going to say something, and it's actually in all caps in my manuscript here, so I really mean this but I want to say it very gently because it's going to be hard for some of you to take, those of you who temperamentally aren't this way. But your most basic emotion can be peace. Might be a battle for some of y'all. I understand that. But your most basic emotion can be peace. So what are we to do? As shoes for your feet, verse 15, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Has the gospel of peace made you ready so you show up for service and say, Lord, I don't know what the day holds, but if it's battles, all right, I'll walk in your grace and your power, and I'm ready. I'm ready to battle. Fourth piece of armor, Ephesians 6, 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. All circumstances. You say, well, I'm not doing too good because under the circumstances, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? You're not supposed to be under there. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, the shield of faith. Faith is the shield. Your faith is your shield. This is your subjective or internal faith. This is your personal trust in God, in the word of God, in the things of God, in the commandments of God, in the blessing of God. This is you trusting God. That's a shield of faith. It will protect you immensely. Do you trust him? In all circumstances, trust him. Take up the shield of faith. You can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Trust him. Believe his word. Like, what if Eve had just trusted him and said, no, God says we don't eat from that one. Trust him. In all circumstances, so that your trust in God is like a shield. You want to see another picture? I think I have a picture of a shield. Do I have a picture of a shield? Slide me. There we go. Oh, isn't that cute? It's a little figurine or something. Oh, that's adorable. A little Roman soldier. But you see the proportions of that shield. It's kind of like a big door. It was about two feet wide, four feet tall. They were shorter than. So you could, you know, you could get covered behind that. You could take cover. And that's the shield that is referred to here. And the other guys had swords, they'd hack at your shield. They had javelins, they'd throw at your shield. One javelin was uh, a spear, seven feet long with a big iron head. How'd you like to see one of those whizzing at you? 
A strong soldier could hurl it about 30 yards. So he's way over there. And all of a sudden there's this thing going, you stop it with your shield. They'd also shoot arrows shot from a bow, maybe a crossbow. And those could be flaming, flaming pitch on them to light you on fire. So how does this, this shield of faith help you in spiritual battle? Let me give you the, this is about phrase. Here it is. This is about your personal faith, your trust in God's truth, in God himself, a trust that stops Satan's fiery temptations from lodging in your soul. So it's just, do you really trust God? How large is your shield of trusting God? How thick is your shield of trusting God? How well do you keep your shield of trusting God right in front of you? Because when you trust in God and keep your powder dry, very little can get to you. You know that phrase, don't you? Trust in God, but keep your powder dry. God uses means. So don't trust him and be idle and do nothing. Trust God that he'll feed you and then go to work and bring home the feed. Trust God and keep your powder dry. How large, how thick is your shield? So you want to be strong. You want the belt of truth strapped on. You want the breastplate of righteousness imputed, Christ's righteousness imputed to you. You want shoes of readiness in the peace of God. And you want to take up this shield. I've learned to trust the Lord. So you don't get all, ah, look what's happening. No, you say, I trust the Lord. My God is still on the throne. I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to do his will. I'm going to follow Christ faithfully. If they kill me, they kill me. I'll be in heaven. That's not so bad, being in heaven. And then we have the helmet of salvation. And then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then we seem to leave believer's armor, but we have then praying. And so those are going to be for, for next week, but I'm going, to, I'm going to land this one now, a little early. How many of you are happy that a sermon's ending early? People always like it when it ends early, but if it goes a little late, ooh, you're in the red zone, Pastor Steve. It's dangerous in there. So I want to end back where we started. So we are the church militant. We are the church at war. You're a soldier. This is war. There's an enemy. He's furious. There are projectiles. There are fiery darts of doubt and temptation. He wants to kill your soul so you die the second death and go to hell, not heaven. And you've got to be a Christian soldier to make it, man. How firm is your attachment to Jesus Christ? Man, I want to be found in him at the last day. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And you and I, will, when we hear those words, we'll be like, you talking about me? Good and faithful? Were you watching? You mean me? It's grace. Well done, good and faithful. I want to hear that one. I don't want to hear the other ones. Depart from me, I never knew you. So 
persevere, overcome. Stick with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. We pray that sinners will be saved and believers will be strengthened and helped and built up by this portion of the word. Help us as the people of Cornerstone Community Church that we may be strong and that we may be armed and thus we might do much good in this earth. For we ask in the name of Jesus, amen.